Dotnet Rocks episode 919, with guests Phil Jepixi, Dan Hualin, and Justin Searles. Recorded live Tuesday, October 1st, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Bulgaria! It's .NET Rocks! Wow. You know it. It's unbelievable. 50,000 people space. here. This is the largest mall in the Balkans, I think. Uh, Isn't it? It's, yeah, we are in a mall, aren't we? Yeah. It's very odd, but... It's a convention center in a mall. This is the third location that DevReach has been in. Because we've been to yeah. all of them. Right. Well, I missed one. I think you missed one. I missed the first one, too. Yeah. 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 But that's a, a lot of years ago. And then right. this is the new facility. It is massive. It is gorgeous. Uh, and we have very bright lights shining in our eyes right now. Yeah. Well, we have uh, a lot of stuff to get through. We got some panelists here, so let's just roll the music for Better Know a Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? Okay, so we're talking about JavaScript libraries today. So um, it, it's always kind of a conundrum for me to, how to manage all of that stuff. Yes. And pe different people have different uh, techniques, and there are some tools out there as well. So I found one that I have never used, but uh, it was recommended, uh, Juicer. Juicer? Not Juicer. So if you just Google Juicer, it's on GitHub. It's a command line tool that helps you ship front-end code for production. This is right out of the readme. Nice. High-level overview. Juicer can A, figure out which files depend on each other and merge them together, reducing the number of HTTP requests per page view, thus improving performance. That's a good thing. Yep. It can use... Uh, UE, YUI compressor, or Google Closure compiler to compress code, improving performance. Can verify that your JavaScript is safe to minify or compress by running JSLint on it. You can cycle asset hosts in CSS files. It'll add cache busters to URLs in CSS files, you know, like by adding parameters to images and things like that. Uh, it'll recalculate relative URLs in CSS files as well as convert them to absolute or convert absolute URLs to relative URLs and embed images into style sheets using data URIs. So, good cool. little tool. This stuff we used to do at Strangely. Yeah, right, exactly. But now it's a free library. Yeah. I'm really kind of glad I'm out of that business. I <laughs> know. <laughs> so, there you go. Just uh, Google Juicer or look it up on GitHub. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? Awesome. I grabbed a comment off of show 878, and that's the one we did with James Kovacs, where we talked about programming in JavaScript functionally, and Ahmed Magid said, thanks for the enjoyable podcast. One question that was asked during the podcast was, what functional libraries existed other than underscore? I was surprised that Lodash at Lodash.com wasn't mentioned. Lodash, as the name suggests, is like underscore. In fact, it's a fork of underscore that aims to vastly improve performance and add extra features. It started out as a pull request to underscore, but it ultimately became its own thing when those suggestions weren't incorporated. For more history, uh, check out the resources in the section on their site. It's interesting, you know, I want yeah. to talk about this, uh, right. the whole JavaScript and, and the nature of open source is really affecting all of this. 
Uh, to quickly sum up the benefits, Lodash fixes some of the underscore bugs, uses loops instead of native array operators, which were benchmark proved to be faster, maintains compatibility with underscores so it can be safely dropped in as a replacement, and provides custom builds so you can grab a JavaScript file with just the methods you intend to use. You were asking about exactly that question right. the other day. Uh, they also have a benchmark site that runs in the browser, and on my machine it showed me that the Lodash approach is like 1.76 <laughs> times faster than the under underscore approach. There's no doubt that Jeremy has introduced lots of JavaScript goodies with underscore, backbone, and CopyScript. However, after discovering Lodash, I am definitely opting for that in my upcoming work. And thanks for the great show. And that's from Ahmad. So, yeah. I, 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 Ahmad, I haven't got a whole lot of comment. It's really interesting that you know that you see a fork like this, it becomes its own version of the product. So you blew through that list of features pretty quick, but that question that I was talking to you about at the podium, was that one of the things that was addressed there? Yeah, yeah, the whole idea right. of just pulling out the methods that you actually want. Right. Trying to minimize size exactly. and you know, code overhead, and it's something that Lodash addressed. Yeah, so, okay, we'll talk. I'm sure these guys have a lot to say about that. Absolutely. So, Ahmed, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, iOS, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you an app. Absolutely. Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers developer training online. They have hundreds and hundreds of courses aimed at developers, authored by industry experts, MVPs, and people that appear on our show. They produce over 40 courses a month. They offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Topics include iOS, Java, web, everything Microsoft, uh, including a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. It's Pluralsight.com. All right, now that all that's out of the way, we can actually get to some content. Guys, welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. All right, why don't we just uh, have you introduce, introduce yourself. yourself, starting with uh, Mr. Phil. Hey, so my name is Phil Jabixi. I'm the evangelism lead for the DevTools division at Telerik, and I've got a, a fairly long history with JavaScript, but it really amped up the past year when I started doing a real deep dive into WinJS, Windows 8 development with HTML and JavaScript. Cool. Mr. Willeen. I'm Dan Walleen. And uh, I heard about JavaScript yesterday, and it sounds cool. So I uh, <laughs> thought I'd, you know, show up and see what we could talk about. And you've had some Pluralsight stuff on JavaScript. Done, yeah, I've done a lot of uh, Pluralsight stuff. So, yeah, the structuring JavaScript code, for instance, is one that's been pretty popular because people like to convert spaghetti code to more clean code. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yep. Justin. And uh, speaking of being new to things, I am a complete outsider to the .NET community. Uh, hello, my name is Justin Searles. I come from Columbus, Ohio. I'm a co-founder at my software studio, Test Double. And uh, I've been focused for the last five years or so at making front-end development with JavaScript more enjoyable. So I built a lot of open source tools around it, and as a result, I'm more connected to the community there than uh, a lot of traditional back-end developers. But Mostly I swam in Java and, and Rails waters prior to this. Cool. I mean, awesome. I, I, I w what I was looking for in a panel here, because JavaScript's a pretty broad subject, it's some really different viewpoints, uh, so we could beat up uh, on Justin, because clearly that's where this is going to go. Excellent. Welcome. I, mean, <laughs> I don't fit in anywhere, it's fine. No. All right, well, uh, we sort of started this by talking about, uh, you know, some tools and strategies for managing the vast number of libraries we have. And the only thing I can really compare it to is back in the, you know, the days of DOS, right? When we started, we, we were programming in DOS. I know everybody just went, what is he talking about? 
but you know, when you had compilers and a lot of libraries and you had to stub things out and you had to worry about the size of your executable and all of that stuff. You know, you're we that, you're we that old, really Carl? Have to worry about, I didn't think you were that old. Oh, yeah. We didn't really have to worry about uh, that too much in Windows, you know, and now it seems like, you know, size matters again. Um, smaller is better. And uh, so, so you know, how, how can we manage the size of when we're using all these different libraries? I, I guess this, what's the name of this tool that the guy was? Lodash. Lodash has something that looks like it, you know, cherry picks from all the libraries just the methods that you're using and kind of just combines them into some sort of... And I think that was just Lodash itself, because Lodash yeah. has lots of features right. that somebody's gone to the trouble of building it so you could pick what features you want to use. Yeah. How do you ma how do you manage that yourselves? Don't use JavaScript. Go down the road. Oh, yeah. Start us off. Phil. Um, so it's, I don't think you should manage it yourself. I, I think you need to find some way. There's just way too many frameworks out there, and there's new ones popping up every day. And so trying to manage that on your own by making sure you get this version that matches this version that matches this version, uh, you're just going to be in a deployment nightmare. And so I, I'm a very firm believer, and I'm probably going to get some disagreement here, which is probably why you picked us for the panel, <laughs> that you should really limit the number of frameworks you're using. And not just say, oh, here's, you know, yet another framework.js. Let's pull this down and see what it can do. And I've got one feature from this framework, and I've got one feature from this other framework, and we've got all these different frameworks. Now, not only is the page size too big, but we have collisions, right? Because not everybody's using namespaces correctly. Right. And, and so I, I think thinner is better. You, you think what is better? Thinner. Thinner. Yeah. So, so I guess small is better, whatever, however we want to say yeah, that. Sure. But, okay. But, you know, not trying to just say, oh, this is cool, let's use it. You know, maybe we can solve the business problem with what we have. So you are a vanilla JS advocate then? No. No, I, 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 nobody should be writing vanilla JS. I mean, it's, there's so many problems with the JavaScript language. There's a reason why in Douglas Crawford's book, half of the book is JavaScript, the good parts. The other half of the book is JavaScript, the awful parts. Right. And then there's the really awful parts. Yes. Yeah. The second uh, appendix is the really awful parts. I mean, there's enough in there that you can shoot off both feet without even thinking about it. So you should use something. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you still have the training wheels on, jQuery is a great place to start. Sure. You know, but, but just because somebody, it is going at VS Live a couple years ago, a bunch of us were sitting in the speaker room joking around because somebody had mentioned something that sounded like a cool name for a JavaScript framework. Right. So we tweeted, hey, there's this new JavaScript framework, you know, at we made this up .js or something. Right. And somebody had actually built the website real quick and all it had was a hit counter. <laughs> and retweeted it. Right. So the speakers from VS Live are tweeting it. So all the VS Live attendees started tweeting it. VS Live tweeted it. And we went to just watching the hit counter. It's like the national debt number, right? <laughs> so spin it up. People are like, oh, these guys are talking about this framework. We must use it. You know, it's like a, a moth to a light. Yeah. And, and at some point, you just got to say, stop the insanity. Let's use what we know and, and, and gradually move to other things. Uh, I, was, I was told, you know, that if you're really especially developing mobile sites like they don't, these people don't want jquery coming down to their phones and no jquery is pretty heavy and that's one of the problems right even though it was meant to be modular it's grown right everything yeah. grows over time i mean if you look at all the mvvm frameworks right they started off small and then they grew and now we have mvvm light and now we have mvvm lighter and yeah. and, and things that, of that nature well let me give dan a chance yeah, to answer sorry. and we'll go down the so yeah, so obviously I joked about learning JavaScript yesterday. So when I got started, it was LiveScript, um, which really dates me. That's why I was joking about you. Yeah, that old. Yeah. 
because I do remember those days. And uh, one of the things that I think is definitely tough, and I'm I'm actually totally in agreement with what Phil just said. Oh, holy cow! What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, Richard's like, kick him off. Get yeah. someone else well, up so here. So much for the fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think version dependencies are a huge un. If you're in, uh, if you go into some of these large corporations that we work with, um, which well, you guys sell to them probably, right. and you see the number of scripts they're using, uh, I think you quickly start to go, okay, let's let's just extrapolate this out a little bit and say in the future that four of these scripts uh, do move forward and you know they're open source and whatever, and four of them don't. And it turns out that the four that didn't had a dependency, though, on one that did. And now, all of a sudden, what do you do if that's a big part of your app? Uh, because your dependencies break. Sure. So that's where you're talking about tools. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan, actually. When uh, Node.js first came out, I was uh, kind of like, why do we need another way to make a web server? Because that's you know, kind of what it was for originally. Right. Yep. But now we have all these tools. Uh, the main one I use most of the time nowadays is Grunt. And it can help not only manage your uh, dependencies, but also do all that stuff you mentioned with the juicer, the minification. Yeah. And right. it's a JavaScript task build manager so that once you get it in place once, you can basically run grunts and boom, you're done. And, there, and there's a bunch of offshoots on this. So I hate to interrupt, but are we out of good names? No. Uh, because we have grunt, grunt moan, wine, <laughs> juicer. You know, I lost my short stock JS. I mean, it's... Red spotted owl. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Well, okay, so... Anyway, so grunt, what it does uh, is a lot of the automation features of the task management. And it's, you know, it's very popular. I mean, there's some other options out there, obviously. But uh, it will help with some of that dependency stuff. It'll definitely help with automating your builds, with the concatenation, the minification, all that stuff. Okay. And so anyway, uh, long story short, I think that type of a tool can really help out. And, it, you know, it takes a little getting used to, but it's, it's not hard to start. You just have to basically have a, a JSON type, you know, it's an object literal file, and it's a command line thing you can automate, and boom, you're off and run. Well, all right. Um, so, yeah, we're all in violent agreement, it sounds like, nice. that in my opinion, the more experience that I've become writing web applications with JavaScript, the fewer dependencies, the third-party libraries that I typically reach for. It's a function of a couple of things. One is that I've learned to build smaller apps, you know, and let those kind of coalesce and come together and, and be reintegrated later as part of some sort of build. And the second is... Uh, I think that, that when we're novices at something, figuring out how to roll our own solution to a problem that we don't understand is a lot harder than just going and Googling for jQuery plugin space carousel or mm -hmm. slideshow. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how a lot of those libraries end up getting slurped in, especially in the big enterprise heavyweight um, applications. Um, it's funny, Dan brought up Grunt. Last summer, we decided to try out Grunt and, and, and Node.js for, for, for all this build stuff, primarily because Node's uh, I.O. file operations are insanely fast on every single platform. And we built one Grunt project, and we attached you know 15 tasks to it that represented all the things that you talked about, the concatenation, the minification, uh, right. compiling our CoffeeScript, compiling our less, getting them all built and distributed, pushing it up to Heroku, all these different tasks. And uh, we, we decided we only wanted to 
pay that price once, and we didn't want to just copy and paste it around like a make file or something like that forever. And so we produced a tool that I've been has been my primary open source focus for the last year called Lineman. Um, so a grunt was a you know low level worker on the railroad, and a lineman was the next order up. So it's a <laughs> uh, really simple scaffolding tool. You just say lineman new app, lineman build, and then it does all of that for you. And all of the configuration is kind of nestled above, and it's extensible, but it gets all that out of your way. It just owns the application. So oh no, another library. I need to learn. Well, the great thing is that there's very, very little. It's super skinny. All it is is default configuration and a handful of conventions. Nice. So you just have to figure out, you know, oh, I put my JavaScript in app.js, you know? And so when we talk about dependency management, vendor slash JS, we dump all the things in there and figure out the ordering and, and you're off to the races. It's a, we love it. We use it every day on our client work. And so part of the reason that I'm traveling again and out at conferences and, and speaking with you guys is we're just really excited to share it because it's made our lives a lot better. Cool. Yeah, that Check is cool that because it, I feel like JavaScript is starting, JavaScript libraries and JavaScript utilization started to really evolve because we put a lot more pressure on what we want our browsers to do in the past two or three years than we had the previous 10. It's, it's kind of stunning. Let's, um, let's go down the line about, uh, your favorite JavaScript stack or I don't know what you call them, tribe? Tribe. The set yeah. of libraries that you use to build tribe. apps. <laughs> we, we, should we make that a tribal. word? Yeah. It, you know, a, a gathering, a, a, a collection of JavaScript libraries is called a tribe. You with me? <laughs> nice. That's what it's going to be. It's like going to be a tribe, a tribe of libraries. <laughs> the meme starts here. There you go. Justin, would you like to lead off with yeah. your tribe? So uh, uh, to preface, first of all, what attracted me to JavaScript five, six years ago was that it's a wild, wild west. I was stuck in these enterprise corporate IT environments where everyone was trying to control everything that I did. Right. And I found JavaScript is like, oh, I don't have to ask permission before I add something. I don't have to, you know, yeah. it turns out you don't even care about this. And pretty soon all my clients realized that their entire applications are being written in JavaScript under their nose. And, <laughs> and made my life a lot happier. So, so lately, um, I'm currently transitioning from, from using Backbone primarily uh, for building fat client apps to Angular slowly. Right. Um, and it's been... So you know, uh, what's making you move from Backbone to Angular? Well, two things. One is that I like Backbone because I'm a control freak because it's super duper minimalist. And I know that I love rolling my own solutions to all kinds of problems. And the problem is that um, every three months, how I would go about implementing something changes pretty dramatically. And teams and, and, and developers who you know, are tasked with maintaining or, or keeping up, uh, uh, don't want to have to relearn the, 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 the podunk, uh, one-off way that I happen to implement everything. Okay. And so having a consistent solution for common problems like data binding and validation seems important. Uh, and, and for larger projects, I think Angular, uh, and possibly Ember, but it seems like Angular is getting a ton of positive momentum right now. We're seeing a huge amount of demand for it. So, in terms of big frameworks, that, but in, in small stuff, you know, I really like underscore a lot. Uh, I write a lot more functional JavaScript because right. I use underscore. I like uh, moment.js uh, as a, a great wrapper around JavaScript dates, which are a little bit gnarly. Um, yeah, those two are usually the first ones I reach for above and beyond whatever framework I'm using. And, he, and he's like I said, you, you're trying to keep this really lean. You don't want too many. So yes. Just the two. Well, uh, I'll usually have between two and five, just depending on whatever I need, but it's, it's rarely very many more than that. Do you see cases? I don't know how often you dig into other people's projects where it's like every library you've ever seen 
Yeah, absolutely. And those can be really hard to tease apart. They really become legacy rescue projects. I, I remember this. I, I mean, you want to talk about old school, like go back to the VB3 days where everybody had VBX controls and you couldn't resist putting more controls into your in your app. They mm. must drag it. It feels right. like the same disease. All right. Absolutely. So we've gone back in time from DOS to VB3. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> We're taking a, a real tour here. A bunch of old timers. Dan, Dan's going to get his punch card out. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Dan? I missed on that. Sorry, but... I heard, don't drop your stack. I did hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a whole other kind of stack fault. I, I guess so. What's your tribe, Dan? Uh, yeah, so, again, we're going to be in agreement here. Uh, so, over the last probably eight months, um, I've done pretty much all, when it comes to the whole spa concept, I jumped on the angular bandwagon really early because of exactly what you mentioned earlier, Richard, which was, you're seeing all these people building and it's kind of like everything in the kitchen sink, like we already talked about. Yep. And I just, having done for about six years of my career, I did, uh, we did dev, but we also did production support. And anytime your butt's on the line for a production, you start to take really serious how easy it is to debug stuff yeah. and uh, fix it. It's always been the battle with libraries, right? Especially the JavaScript library. You get an error in a, li in a line of code that you did not write. Yuck. And, and if it's minified, yeah, good yeah, luck. Yeah, good uh, luck yeah. with there, yeah. So I've always been uh, a big proponent. In fact, I think we talked in San Francisco at uh, yeah. .NET Rocks there. On the road there. trip, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, GitHub. We were at GitHub. Yeah, when we were GitHub. Uh, actually, it was Ward Bell you were Ward talking was on, with. Yeah, Ward right? was on the stage. But we right. talked. And I've always been a big proponent of, you know, the less dependencies, the better. Same reasons that these guys brought up. Mm -hmm. So Angular, when it first came out, um, was really, really attractive to me. Now, one of the big things, I just did another thing last week with someone, and one of the big things that came up, is it appropriate for every app? And, you know, of course not. And the way I look at it is if you're building what I kind of view as something that could work in a desktop world, yep. line of business, a uh, lot of shifts between views, things like that. It, I think it's phenomenal. If yeah. you're doing a lot of read-only stuff, it might be overkill. I mean, you might just let the server just serve up that Is stuff. Is it the sure. navigation abilities that you're really appreciating now? Uh, you like? know, there's routing, there's history, there's the validation, mm -hmm. there's it's just all this stuff. So the bottom line is I'm a big fan of it because uh, you get all those things I mentioned, plus like 20 others right. out of the box. And with the uh, version 1.2, which is... It's in release Canada right now, but it should be out fairly soon. They now are starting to make things more modular, like animations, for instance, is a feature of the framework, and mm -hmm. it's now a module. Yeah, so that's, that's my script. concern now is when you start rattling off that big list, Angular was supposed to be quite lean, and it, it sounds like it's getting big. Well, I mean, it it's a fairly good-sized framework for mm -hmm. JavaScript. But you got to keep in mind, now I don't have to have, I mean, you mentioned, I don't know what you said, up to five scripts maybe? Yeah. I literally think with Angular, you can get away, and I'm talking core scripts, not your custom scripts, right. but core, that five or less scripts is definitely doable. You know, at a minimum, I'll have two, and that's going to be Angular and uh, Angular Route, which is the new routing mm -hmm. module that they introduced in 1.2. But what it buys you if you're building spas, and again, that's a big if, because I don't think it's appropriate for every app. But no. If it is, uh, I think down the road, your maintenance story is going to be a lot better if that's the route you're going. I, if, I, if you don't mind if I interject briefly, go right ahead. to the point of Angular, like, you know, so most application frameworks start out very lean and light, and people adopt them because of their lightweightedness and how easy it is to get sure. started. And then eventually, because most application frameworks are written to be 
monolithic and to kind of control and own all of your application code and make it subservient to the framework. They'll grow and they'll get bigger and then they'll, you know, eventually be mature and old guard. It's hilarious seeing um, my friends in Ruby on Rails go through the same spasms that the Java enterprise community was going sure. through five, and six years ago. Everybody does. And Angular, I think, in particular, has a couple of advantages that put it above and beyond the typical application framework. First and foremost is that uh, it leans on dependency injection as its primary uh, mechanism by which the things that you write become available to the other things that you write. So right. instead of me extending some super class that has hundreds and hundreds of methods on it, uh, I, I can inject small and focused things, which gets to the second point is it gives you lots of different primitives that don't fall under traditional model view controller buckets. Right. Um, you know, you have uh, uh, primitives like services and factories that are more nuanced in their meaning, uh, directives which are, are focused pretty much strictly on just DOM interactions and isolating that from the rest of the application. So they did a good job thinking out how do we build you small uh, pieces to work with and how do we let you inject that into your code in a way that doesn't create these big, gigantic spaghetti monsters. Mm. Cool. And uh, how's the mobile story with Angular these days? I think it really depends on what the problem there is. So, for instance, from the touch, there's a now a new newer module for touch. Yeah. But size-wise... Uh, I think it depends on how big a size you're looking for. Mobile. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, are you building mobile spa apps? Uh, we're not. I don't know. Are you doing that? Uh, absolutely. Typically, we do responsive, you know, so responsive. we do mobile first and then kind of build up. Um, and if you do it that way, it's, it's generally not a problem. The download time isn't so bad. I mean, if a user hits the next web.com, they're looking at a four megabyte payload once all the ads load. So, yeah. so it's not the end of the world. I mean, um, this is one of the upsides to Spa is you load the libraries once. It's, it's cacheable. Cached. You're staying yeah, on the cacheable. page. And you're staying on the page anyway. Right. Yep, exactly. There is only one page. There's a lot less load. That, that consequence of load time is lower. When a lot of people think of mobile web apps, however, they think of like widget libraries. Like I want to do a date picker here and I want to do this right. thing here. And of yeah. course, Angular doesn't hand that to you out of the box, like something like JQ Touch might. Right. Phil, i got to get your tribe in before we go. So, make so I, have, I have two tribes. Nice. <laughs> so if I'm doing Windows 8 development, I'm using WinJS. Right. Right. And I'm doing all native. Uh, I know a lot of people are trying to use some of the other frameworks in WinJS, but it's really just to your advantage to use WinJS if you're building a Windows 8 HTML so app. So, I mean, taking something like Angular to WinJS would be a pr is a problem. Well, it's not a problem. You can do it, but then you're really building a hybrid. And you're right, not building sure. a, a, a native app, and then you lose the ability, or you have to work really hard to get back the ability to access the hardware, the camera, the accelerometer, those types right. of things. Mm -hmm. So you end up fighting these frameworks. You end up anyway. fighting the frameworks for for the value that they bring, and they do bring value. It's just it it's not good enough to forego the ease of using the native WinJS. Absolutely. Uh, my other tribe for mobile. So I live in an MVC and a web forms world as well. Yeah, I'm Microsoft guy. And uh, it's Kendo. I mean, the the thing, the beauty about Kendo. Am I allowed to say that? You're allowed to say that. We are we, okay. That, it's, let us make no bones about it. Teleworks is a big sponsor of .NET Rocks, yeah. and, and, and Kendo's, Kendo's a heck of a good tool. <laughs> yeah. Product. We, yeah. It happens to be a day Teleric conference. It, yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> kind of at a Teleric conference. And I'm wearing a Teleric shirt. Well, there is a free version of of Kendo as well. Kendo UI. Yes, um, absolutely. But, but the thing here is, you use it. I do. Yeah, yeah because it's. I don't want to go through the the chicken soup of which framework which was works with other framework. I don't spend all my, well, in Windows 8 I do spend all my time in JavaScript, but when I'm developing in the web, I write a lot of C-sharp code in Razor. 
and I want the JavaScript stuff to just work. Right. Right. And I don't want to spend fighting time with jQuery UI or Angular.UI if they have one and jQuery mobile and all these other things. I want a framework and it's just a JavaScript framework, right? That I can plug in and it'll just work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That is definitely another approach to it. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. It's time to pour a cup of JavaScript, sit down and grunt. <laughs> okay. Always that a joke. Co- the it's always a joke. Not go. go over well in Bulgaria. There apparently. you go. All and right. I didn't think they saw it coming. No. Well, you know what? Really, it is time to give away a DevCraft Complete Collection from Telerik to one lucky member of Speaking the of Rocks fan club. Absolutely. But before we do that, let's just formally talk about Kendo UI. It's everything that you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. In the complete integrated pack, you'll find a jQuery-based tool set that includes rich UI widgets and powerful data source dynamic data visualizations and blazing fast micro-templates all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash D-O-T-N-E-T to find out more about Kendo UI and download the free 30-day trial with support. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. Wow, that was unbelievably coincidental. Yeah. He had no idea you were going to run that ad then. That's no. hilarious. No. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner is John K. Lee. Give uh, him a round of applause. Round of applause for John. Congratulations, John. And a DevCraft Complete includes Kendo UI. It certainly does. Absolutely. And we're also giving away one of my CDs, Been a While. Yeah, you had a few here, too. Yeah. Been a while since we gave one of those away. Nice. Ha-ha. <laughs> and uh, today's winner is Chris Krause. Congratulations, Chris. You can find that CD at carlfranklin.com. All right. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, we have a fan club. And uh, each show, we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. Uh, if you don't know, go to .nerox.com. Click on the big Get Free Stuff button. <laughs> Join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. It could be you, but you got to be a member to get it. And we'd like to ask our panelists... If you had $5,000 right now to spend on technology, what would you buy? Phil? Uh, I would buy three Surface Pro 2s, one for each of my kids, just to keep them away from mine. <laughs> that's, awesome. that's about that's about right, yeah. That'd be about four grand or so, pretty close. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, Dan? Dan? Does music gear, gear count? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, I'd probably get... Uh, Ableton Live 9, because I don't have that okay. newest version, and uh, Logic Pro X that just nice. came out, which is not going to add up to 5000 so I still got bonus money. How about one of those Onkyo Super Surround you uh, you know, Oh, no, I know receivers. what I get. The, the Ableton Live, uh, I don't remember what the pad thing's called, but it's got no. the uh, pad thing. So, yeah, yeah, that's probably what I'd get. Because that, that works on a radio show. Yeah. yeah. More <laughs> gestures on the radio show. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well. Oh, whatever. So audio gear. Justin, you got Music five grand. What are you going to buy? Oh, man, this is a crisis. I, I, I'm a very minimalist person. My, my, my development machine is an 11-inch MacBook Air. Right. Um, uh, I like to travel really light. But if you forced me to spend five grand, uh, I'd probably saddle up with a um, you know maxed out, 15-inch MacBook Retina Yeah, fully Pro. loaded Mac Pro will get you to 5 grand. With Retina. With the Retina screen. Yeah. And SSDs. I, there, I'm imagining that'll come out to about 3 grand. I wouldn't totally top it off so that I could afford two Thunderbolt displays to go with it. Of course. Um, I happen to have a wide desk SSD that's upper one. Yeah. mostly empty. So I'd, I'd settle for that and probably lament about how much it all weighed. <laughs> 
Yeah, it'd be a bit a bit heftier. I think if I wanted a really minimalist lifestyle, I think you go with the 3D printer to just make what you need as you need it. <laughs> Getting there. Cool. There you go. All right. Yep. Let's jump back into this because I think we're just sort of getting to the fun stuff. But it's remarkable how much you guys are actually agreeing, even though you develop clearly develop in a lot of different ways. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just battling the single page application thing. I mean, we've done a bunch of shows on it. Dan, you've talked about it before. Uh, you know, for me, from from a performance perspective, I'm just suspicious of browser windows that hang around for more than a few minutes. I, I, I hate memory leaks and, and, uh, and I see long running browser sessions, you know, when you just don't get around to closing that browser a couple of days and you need to look and it's got megs and megs and megs of memory, especially thinking in the context of mobile. I just mm. don't know if they're survivable yet. I don't think it's the technology's fault. I think, I think that 90% of the world's developers treat front end HTML, CSS, JavaScript as the second class citizen. It's right. the thing that they kind of have to do because the business wants to pay for a web application. Right. Most would prefer to be playing in their server side, and they understand that runtime incredibly well. They understand how their garbage collection on the server side works, right. for instance. When, especially when I'm recruiting people to come, you know, work with us at Test Double, uh, your runtime is the browser when you're building a fat client app. So you'd better understand how browsers parse CSS and sure. JavaScript and, and, and the, the, the AST memory structures with which they, you know, hold them, represent them, and, and, how it all runs, and if you carry that, you know you'll you'll hopefully approach your front end single page application development with the same level of rigor, so that it never gets to that point. Right. Well, I think the biggest problem is spas the new hotness. Yeah. Right. Mm. Everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to be, everybody wants to put it on their resume. And, and the problem is, so now you have a hammer. Everything has become a nail. Yeah. You know there are some great examples of spa apps. You know Gmail is a great example. OWA was not a great example, <laughs> right? Because you, you could just... You do not leave OWA running for too yeah. long. You know, not only was it memory, you just watch your battery meter go down, yeah. right? You have no mm. idea what it was doing, but it was doing something. It was chatting. And, and everybody wants to say, oh, we're working on a spa app. Why? Because all the cool kids are doing it, right? As opposed to going through the process to learn what it takes to, to do it right and to really sit back and say, does the business need this or does my resume need this? Right. Yeah, I guess it's actually making a good case for what's a good spa app, right? And I, I'm yeah, still and waffling as, on that. As mentioned, I don't think, and I don't think anyone here does think, that every app is a candidate for a spa. Right. It's, it's not. Sure. Um, I think, though, that uh, you're also seeing uh, in, well, for instance, uh, definitely Google Chrome, the Chrome developer tools, they yeah. just announced a ton of enhancements. I mean, even down to HTML5 canvas optimizations yeah. that you can visually get into that and dig into what's going on. And uh, IE11, as an example, which coming. not everybody has, but it finally is catching up to that. Yep. Uh, they don't have all the performance tools that Chrome has yet, but I'm sure they're working hard on that. So I, long story short, I think that the different browser companies are realizing that uh, it, it does go down to everybody always optimize their frameworks, you know, Java or Ruby on Rails or uh, .NET or whatever it was. But the browser was like, like you said, I don't remember what you said, but, you know, second class citizen or whatever. It's just a way to, you know, view HTML, CSS content, and we just hope it works. So uh, right now, I think the story is still evolving, but it's getting a lot better. And uh, I think that being able to see what your app doing is now much easier than it used to be. So as far uh, as memory and things. As far as browsers go, what's your current biggest pain in the butt browser version out there? Headache. 
Well, I mean, it, depending on how far I back don't know. you got to go. Yeah, we don't all, say I-86. Yeah, we, yes. we all know I-86. Uh, I-8 still because yeah. a lot of corporations, that's still their standard. Yeah. yeah. But of the of the current uh, browsers, you know, maybe? Oh. Uh, of the current couple versions ago, are there any that are not playing well? Because I'm still finding sites that run well in Chrome don't run well in IE11. I'd right, probably right. say uh, and, and, and it's got to be coded, Safari, right? actually. A few. What Safari? I'd probably say Safari on a few minor things. You know, to be honest, I, with the major stuff, I haven't had any major yeah. now that issues. But seventy-five percent of them are all using WebKit forks. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's nice when you have a common yeah. engine. Yeah. Right? Well, the, one of my concerns with HTML5 all along has been that the fragmentation would get worse, not better. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not getting a clear picture either way. But well, I think it is. You're right. I mean, just take uh, audio video alone. Yeah. That right Actually, there is fragmenting. If I had so. to pick a worst, and it wasn't IE8, I would probably uh, point at some of the, uh, especially the older mobile browsers. Yeah. So, so mobile Safari pre-iOS 6 had some very, very serious performance degradation. Um, obviously, when you say something is just WebKit, you assume that means that it's a common core and that it's mostly the same, but, but they, they vary dramatically in their implementation. Yeah. Uh, uh, and across all the different Android browsers as well. There's a lot of really, really goofy corner cases. Things like position fixed didn't work, you know, in CSS until very, very recently. Wow. Well, and I think it's it's not just the browsers, right? Because a lot of the browsers, if they're not working right, you know, just blink, there'll be a new version installing. Nice. Um, but I think it's, it's business's perception. I remember working on a, a really large project for a really large company and they had some beautiful comps made up by the designers. I mean, these were, they looked like magazine covers. They were gorgeous, right? And they had, here's the fold, right? They were still, this is only like three and a half years ago. Right. Right. They're still thinking above the fold and below the fold. Sure. I'm like, it's not a freaking newspaper. It's a web page, <laughs> right? And so then they were complaining because we didn't have the fold line at the exact same pixel position across all browsers. I thought you were going to say that you didn't like actually render a horizontal rule with a dotted slash into the page. <laughs> you know, that's actually that's what I went back to. I said, "Here, this will be the same on all browsers. It'll look shit, crappy everywhere, but it'll be across all browsers." <laughs> well, they do understand that that the operators get the users get to change the window size, right? Like, yes, yeah. has a little impact. Uh, I don't think the they. I don't think they understood that. No, yeah. um, and I think that's the biggest problem, right? So, so no matter, they're all going to render differently, right? As long as they work. I think, you know, the businesses have to start understanding that, you know what, they're going to look a little different. And yeah. let's make them look good across all of them, but it doesn't have to be perfect across well, all. And, and, and usable. I mean, right. It's that responsive web design is one of those little sneaky, it's way harder than it looks. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. a lot of little tidbits to making that right. Uh, something you said, Dan, really triggered me, which is neat. understanding what's going on in the browser. I feel like we need to instrument clients, and I'm wondering how people are doing it. Like it's, it was one thing when it was my smart client, and I could push it out, and I instrumented the heck out of that, and I had lots of feedback. How are you instrumenting your web apps at the browser level? Because I can instrument the server. What do you do with the browser? I don't have a great one there, to be honest, for client side. Because yeah. uh, really, you're talking about a, you know, a, a logging mechanism. I mean, console.log works great. <laughs> yeah. But not so much for maybe production or whatever. I just, you know. So I don't have a library I use there for instrumentation. Uh, you got one, Justin? You use? So, so it just so happens that a pair of developers at our company has been in R&D mode for, for several months building and, and spiking and exploring 
instrumentation style profiling tooling to be run in the browser. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it's been really exciting stuff and, and some of the insights that they've been able to, you know, show off internally are, I, I hope that it turns into a released open. Uh, it, yes, I know it'll be another library for us to install. But my personal feeling, yeah, helpful is, though. as a guy who's worked a lot on the infrastructure side and so forth, I do not like it when my customers know my app is broken before I know. Yeah. Right. right? I want my apps reporting back to me. By the way, you're going to have a pissed off customer in a minute. So I'm not an infrastructure person, but I've talked to lots and lots of developers who that's the thing that holds them back from taking an, an investment in developing, like, say, a single-page app from taking that seriously is that they they live and breathe off of the data that they get from from new relic or whatever their you know backend yep. uh, profiling tool is, and then they just imagine this like gray line, the end of the solar system, and then and then all of the stuff in the client side is just a black hole. It just right? goes off into the cloud, yeah. right? You right. never see it again. So, and if you live on that data, and then you just don't get any of that feedback, if that's the feedback that drives your productivity, yep. and it just goes away, they can't imagine investing that kind of time. Yeah, I think it's hugely important. Real quick, before I let Phil go here, um, I do. As far as instrumentation, I don't have anything great to recommend. But as far as logging goes, that's pretty easy to do just with a, whether it's an HS call or whatever you're doing. Yep. So I think that's pretty common, though, and hopefully everybody builds some type of logging in anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's simple. We, for that's a long time, strangely, we would just use a web bug, which is, mm. a, you know, it's just a, a post back with, with an HS call that grab the, if we had HTML5, grab the web timing stuff and haul it up to us just so we knew what you were spending your time on. Exactly. Mm. It's not hugely primitive, though. Does a uh, preemptive have, any, have anything for yeah, that? Yeah, preemptive does. Yeah, it, it, I mean, and that's one of those tools that if you run Visual Studio, you already own preemptive. Runtime run intelligence, I think yeah. it's called the runtime intelligence tool. Yeah, and that's a, they have a JavaScript library you can add in. But there's a few of them. A new relics certainly one of them. Bill, what do you use? So um, on the Windows 8 side, um, it's 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 completely different. Right, there's nothing out there. Um, Equitech is getting close to the point of where we can actually integrate that with the Windows 8 HTML side. Right, so you're talking WinJS? WinJS, yeah. right? On the XAML side, it's a whole different story. Um, I actually haven't done any analytics on uh, production websites because I don't write them anymore. Right. Right, it's been three years. And at that point, if a customer wasn't calling, they were happy. Mm -hmm. Right, but, you know, on the WinJS side, uh, I think it's even more important, not only from our app perspective, but... You know, there's so few Windows 8 users out there, we don't want to lose either one of the two of them. <laughs> we need yeah. both those guys. Yeah, we need both those guys so we can be successful. You know, one of the, speaking of that, it was on the XAML side, but on uh, Facebook bottom now, so I don't know what will happen there, but Parse is one I used for my logging. Facebook bought, bought Parse? That's what I heard, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You heard it here first. Oh, there you go. Breaking I, if, news. If, if I'm wrong, correct me. I might be wrong, but I, I believe they Justin's in. looking at his phone wondering. Right. If yeah. Should, I, yeah. I, I, what? That's Did my stock double or what? So anyway, uh, I, you got to imagine somebody's going to come out with something that's not just for logging, though, that'll do your instrumentation. Yeah. I mean, what do we, we, we want when errors occur on the browser to get them back Kinda to us. So and automated. Yeah. As, as, as automatic as possible. As possible right. Like that, in my mind, you're working on <laughs> We're talking about JavaScript being a grown-up language that builds real apps that real people have to use every day. This is part of the deal. Yes, but it's a grown-up language with a bad temper. <laughs> <laughs> and a bit of a legacy that it's tried to shake. Like yeah. any language, it's actually been around for a while. Yeah. But there, there are definitely worse problems. So what's, uh, what's next for you? We'll start. Uh, what, are you, what are you working on? What am I working on? So like I mentioned at the beginning, um, LimeNJS has, has been my primary open source focus. I also spend a lot of time uh, 
Uh, I use Jasmine for my JavaScript unit tests, and I've been pushing that for years now, and tons and tons of like little one-off, very focused helper libraries that I maintain. And only recently have I actually started using it to test Node code, uh, so, so JavaScript that's running under Node.js. Mm -hmm. And so the last month or two has been me kind of, you know, porting all of my stack of JavaScript testing tools to, to run under Node, especially running asynchronously because Node standard live is all asynchronous. So that's the, that's what I've been working on with most of my spare time. Cool. Hey, Dan, what are you working on? So we've been, uh, you mentioned, Justin mentioned earlier that Angular demand has gone way up and mm -hmm. we've seen that as well. And we, you know, do a lot of training in, uh, mostly in the .NET world in the past, but lately it's been a lot in the JavaScript world. So, um, we've actually been spending a lot of time building some prototype apps that are, well, we hope best practice <laughs> that oh, are good. released. I mean, you can get to them on GitHub. Um, Great. that are Angular based that are simple enough that, you know, your average person starting out can figure it out and get started. What's up? How do we find them? Uh, you can go to github.com slash Dan Wallin, actually, uh, which, or go What's, to my blog. Give me the name we'll of one of your, one of the, uh, apps. it's just called customer manager. Okay. So that's one. Uh, Grunt was already taken. What's that? Grunt was already yeah, taken. Yeah, Grunt was taken. I, <laughs> I, I went with something boring, you know. I, I considered the red spotted owl, but, yeah. you know, that was probably taken too. Okay. So, um, we do a lot of mentoring as well and, and been spending a lot of time there and it has the dual purpose of, uh, Pluralsight stuff I'll That's be working awesome. on. Great. Phil, what's, what's in your inbox? So I, I, way too much. Uh, we're crazy busy at Telerik. We've got a whole host of new WinJS controls coming out from Windows 8. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got, I'm working on a book right now. Um, and I've got three or four shows coming up. So it's just been a, a very, very crazy busy schedule. Awesome. Any questions from the audience before we wrap this up? There's one right there. Hi. So uh, just before uh, the advent of mobile platforms, mobile uh, phones, there was this trend to go from uh, plain JavaScript to GWT and other languages, but once the need to, go, to be smaller and faster, uh, uh, we went back to JavaScript. Uh, once the phones get really strong, and more powerful. I mean, right now they're 68 bit. Do mm. you think that we'll, we will go back again to GWT or other technologies? Uh, no, I think we'll just use bigger JavaScript libraries because we can fit more of them on the phone. I mean, <laughs> Gmail was written in, in GWT, not in plain JavaScript. Oh. No, that's a, I think that's a fantastic question. I, uh, we could probably debate on why GWT didn't work out. Um, uh, I think it might have been the wrong layer of abstraction, and it was driven by a lot of fear that you didn't want to write JavaScript. I mean, it's why Google's pushing Dart now, you know? Um, but I have a feeling like at least several people involved with GWT had something to do with the development of Angular. I'm not 100% sure that's accurate, um, uh, but, but some of the good ideas, uh, the few that I recognize in GWT did show up there. Where I see things going, as you talk about, as phones get super duper fast and as the browser becomes more and more a full-blown runtime, I'm interested in long-term looking at things like Asm.js uh, for, for basically hitting restart on, on assembler inside the browser. Because once it's so fast, we'll start to see additional programming languages be built and target the browser. Uh, uh, and, and once that happens... JavaScript will just be the bottom of the sediment in the fossil record of, of what's actually going on when these future future browsers are running. Well, it's JavaScript as assembly language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? pretty much. Yeah, it's, 
the universe. Uh, uh, other thing to add to that, real quick, uh, I, th- I also think to tie onto what Justin just said, uh, Polymer uh, is another mm-hmm. Google project coming out that. In essence, you can extend very easily and add your own web components. And it's like writing your own version of the HTML spec, but not having any control over the HTML spec, but it'll still work. Right now, it's a lot of polyfills because uh, the browsers just don't support all the you know DOM observation and shadow DOM or whatever it is. But um, I think, I don't know because I don't know that team very well at all, uh, but my guess is they're probably spearheading that for the reason you just mentioned that Mobile is going to catch up to where desktop is now, and we need a little more robust way to build these apps. And then, yeah, you get into some of the stuff that Justin just mentioned, and now you really start to see some raw performance, and you get the flexibility. All right, we have another question. Hi, first of all, Carl, Richard, it's great to be on the live show. So my question is, I've been from the function spaghetti code to the ravioli code, so it's been 12 years in the web, but one thing I have noticed is, a lot of JavaScript frameworks come, libraries come, but there's no definitive guide as to, you know, if I am developing this kind of page, yeah, this is the framework or the tribe that you call about should be used. Everybody has their own, you know, uh, kind of favorites, but we don't still see people coming out and say, yeah, you, you're doing kind of a data entry screen. Yeah, maybe these are the things you should use or these are the kind of app you're doing. This should be the stack. Or, there's nothing like that, but rather, Everybody is coming up with their own library or framework. So will we ever see the open source community or whoever it is coming up and saying, yes, this is what you can have? So one Something thing that I spend a lot of my time on, and part of the reason I'm at a primarily .NET conference right now, is that I've observed that JavaScript is the whole, the whole world runs it. And, and nobody owns it, and there isn't one. There is no such thing as the JavaScript community. You can only look at certain tribes and pockets, and that all contributes to the fact that there's therefore no right way to do anything. No one's going to hand you, this is the canonical way to approach this. And once you get over that cultural difference, I think it's actually uh, liberating because, because now I'm free to experiment, innovate, run lean, and only use what I need as opposed to feel burdened by the expectations of others. I think it's a basic measure of any successful languages. You have to be able to shoot your foot off. <laughs> right? Because uh, we, uh, you know, I think back over the years, there were much more constrained languages mm-hmm. and they failed. Because the, the, it's that freedom in the language that can be very destructive and very messy that also lets you... But also time to value. Well, and, and I think you can, you can do plenty of things wrong in C Sharp as well. Oh, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not that JavaScript's going to come out and say, this is the one way, right? You know, may the force be with you. This is how you should do it. I think the community speaks and the community speaks loudly. I mean, if you look at some of the frameworks that came out early, look at Scriptaculous and Prototype, right? It used to be all you hear about, you know, for a brief period of time. And then jQuery came out and it's like, script what? You know, so the community will decide. Well, that means you have to be in touch with the community, right? How do you, you just do keep that? just listening to .NET Rocks. You'll be fine. All right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I want to get one more question in before we wrap it up. Firstly, um, I'd like to thank everyone for this format um, and the opportunity to ask you questions. Um, I'm a JavaScript developer, primarily a JavaScript developer. I've developed um, in Node.js, in backend, and pri- but primarily I use front-end NVC frameworks, and I have my own tribe, as you put it. Um, my question is, how do you guys uh, tackle, when building a spa, how do you guys tackle the um, SEO pass? SEO. Yeah, that one is a hassle. So, uh, fortunately for us, we haven't had to yet, but, um, 
there are, first off, there's a couple services I just heard about recently. There's several. Um, Phantom JS potentially would be an option. And, uh, you know, you just automate that with Node. And it sounds like you've already heard of that option. Um, I, I think that uh, coming up with whether it's a, a grunt task or whatever that'll go through and basically spec it out is nice. I don't know. I, I hope it's going to get better, but right now, yeah, the story kind of stinks. <laughs> to describe what Dan's referring to by Phantom JS, I recently did some research into this for a client, and the as hokey as it sounds, as far as I can tell, the quote-unquote best practice approach to this is I have a fat client JavaScript application, so whenever I see a Google or a Bing bot user agent come in, I'm going to refer them to some phantom js browser that's living persistently in an aws server somewhere and and that'll render all the javascript and then present them with a pre-rendered html page and just tell them okay now i'm done yeah. index um, this uh, yes and return the, uh, the the html is just a raw stream uh which is tremendously hokey but if you don't have a ton of pages if you're not getting millions of crawling hits a day it, it can actually be a also affordable. stunningly deceptive because you can put whatever the heck you want in there. It's not going to be what you <laughs> right. think. You know, what you present to the user, what you're telling the robot, don't have to be the same thing. And as a result, Google's gotten a lot less strict about those things having to match up. Mm -hmm. Right. This question is how... The thing is, if they can match it up, why do we need to do it? Well, we're basically just paying their bill for them. They could have their robots run JavaScript yep. just as well yeah. as we do. PhantomJS right. is built mostly on their technology. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And remember, the NSA has it all backed up anyway. So, <laughs> Hey, guys, that's a show. One more round of applause for our panelists. Give it up. <laughs> and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks! <laughs> Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time boy. Life is hard.